you. If you have your Bibles, the book of 2 Kings chapter 22, 2 Kings 22, I am humbled and uh, blessed to be able to come and to minister here in this great conference. Truly appreciate the opportunity. And after this week of great preaching and all that God has spoken, you know, you come up on Friday, you always wonder how, you know, how your sermon is going to hold together. And uh, you've heard probably everything I have to say before. Turn off the monitors. I hate them anyway. And uh, it's not going to be anything new, no new revelation. But I really believe it's an area that God's been hitting on all week. And it's something he's trying to shake us again to get back to. And that is the basics of what we are as Christians. The basics of what we are as a fellowship. You know, there's been a trend over the past a uh, decade or so of the mega church movement where there's been put in place lots of things to build churches, church growth seminars. I mean, if you look in uh, many of the Christian publications, you see the different seminars they have and all the things they're beginning to put in place. And it is something that if you are working and laboring in a harvest field, trying to gain precious souls and see God build a work, that many times of laboring and in the weariness of that labor, you can come to a place, if you're not careful, that will begin to look attractive to you. And you will begin to slowly embrace certain aspects of that because it's not overtly against what we are and what we believe is a fellowship, but it is something that over time may undermine and take away from what God is trying to build through us. Because I truly believe, like... Many of these men of God have stated this week that we are positioned and put in place for a powerful move of God in these last days. And God has raised us up an army of workers, of common men that can go forth and see fruitfulness. But there's something we must hold to. And that is what we are as a fellowship. And we need to get back to the basics of that, especially in the arena of the Word of God. Do you remember, pastor, worker, when you first went out or you first began to do something for God, you didn't have all the fluff. You didn't have all the trimmings, all the trappings. What you had was the Word of God. It's all you had. And you know what? That was enough. So I want to talk about all the fluff today because we may build churches that look better, seem more inviting, more palatable to the modern-day mindsets. We may try to build churches that are going to bring comfort and non-confrontational salvation in lives, but the problem is when you do that, you leave out the Word of God. I want to talk about all the fluff, 2 Kings 22, 3 through 13, if you'd bear with me. It says, And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of uh, Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the doors have gathered of the people. Let them deliver it to the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house. Unto carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit, there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered in their hand, because they dealt faithfully. And Elkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Elkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. 
Japhan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, the, Thy servants have gathered the, gathered the money that was found in the house, delivered it to the hands of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest had delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. The king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and, and Achaim the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and all these different guys, a servant of the king, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, to do according to all that was written concerning us. See, one of the things that I want to look at firstly is business as usual, because we have many times in the megachurch movement, obviously has gone into an arena where they have the wrong focus. They are busy doing the usual things. In our text, it's interesting, they're busy doing the usual things. They're collecting offerings. They're involved in the work of the house of God. The picture there is clear for us. They are busy about God's business. In their minds, they're doing something for God. They're making impact. They're doing their repairs. They're building the things they think that God is doing. All that's taking place. But it's interesting here that these people were being faithful. They were doing what they thought had to be done, and they're laboring, but the Word of God is not there. It's just not there. Nothing's changing the people. There's no input. There's nothing happening. They're going through the motions of having church. They're going through the motions of building a church, but the Word of God is not even being taught. I have a quote here from an article, very interesting. It's from a man who built a mega church and then repented. And he says this, For us, worship was a show. We played to a packed house. We grew by thousands. Doesn't that sound exciting? We, brought, we bought more land, positioned ourselves to reach more people. Now, doesn't that sound good? They're buying property. They're positioning selves, building buildings, doing all to bring in more people. But for what? Because worship was a show. It was a production. They hired the best musicians money could buy, but they weren't probably saved. They had the best show in town. And the problem is many times when we're struggling in ministry, trying to build for God, we are frustrated. Pastors, you ever get frustrated? Twice this morning already. We get frustrated. We're not seeing what we want to see. We're not seeing the growth we would like to see. The people, we're not gaining what we would like to see in the realm of people and precious lives for God. And sometimes we're drawn into this mindset. If we could put on a better show, like the charismatic palace down the street, they run 5,000. That may, you know, This is maybe what God is doing. But the problem is many times the word of God is not there. And they're doing things, and in their minds, they're honoring God, but there's no concept of true service for Christ. It's a show. It's something they come to enjoy and then go home from. There's no involvement. There's nothing else happening. It's a traditional religion for them. It's what they like to do as long as they don't have to do anything with it or for it. They handed it over to other people to do the labor. Did you notice that in the text? 
Yeah, we gave it to the carpenters and the masons. We let them do everything. But we're here. We're a, a, a part of this. We're not involved in this. The everything is okay, we're finding God our own way mindset has to be challenged. Because we can't find God our own way. It's got to be God's way. It's got to be according to what God has spoken. And we need to regain our sight and put ourselves back in position to hear from God. Because in your mind, you may be honoring God, but in reality, is the word of God coming forth or just your traditional value of what you think Christianity ought to be? According to what everybody else is doing. Because it's easily embraced. It's easily embraced when you can see someone, you drive by their church on Sunday morning, you know, their church. We have a church in our town. We have a lot of churches in our town. But we have one in particular. They just built a new $12 million structure. They've got acres and acres of property. They've got a school building that's separate. They've got another area that's separate. They've got baseball fields. They've got basketball arena. They've got everything. Three-story building. Latest equipment. I walked inside the sanctuary once. Pastor Paul Stevens was with, was with me. Beautiful. Beautiful. They got the big screen TVs. The monitor, I mean, you know, their, their screen on, beside their stage is bigger than my building. And it's the top notch. They got cameras so they can pan the crowd and see the oohs and ah, ooh, 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 oh. You know, they pan, they, they, they you know, oh, the, let's, oh, that one looks good. Get on that one. Oh, this will be, put it on the screen. And they have all the greatest things that money can buy, millions of dollars invested. You drive by there and they see the thousands that come. And it's pretty impressive. And then we drive into the hood. And we drive into Vario Northside Redlands. And we drive up into our parking lot. And look at the whole church property and say, well, that would probably fit in their restroom. (laughs) So it seems really impressive, but then we go on outreach. We're knocking on doors, and I remember clearly knocking on a door one day on an outreach on the south side of town, you know, across the tracks, where they got all the money, honey. And we went there, and I'm knocking on a door, and this girl stumbles out reeking of alcohol cigarette in hand hand her a flyer and say you know we're here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ are you born again oh yeah I'm on the worship team at that church that I drove by oh praise the Lord so it looks great on the surface but they've been blinded to growth in numbers And now they don't see the need for the Word of God. We need to regain our sight, church. You know, that may all look good, but that's not what we're into. That's not who we are. That's not what God has raised us for. I am sure every pastor here, if you did not deal with fornicators, your church would be double in size. Perhaps larger. But you know what? We have to do certain things, and we have to go by what the Bible says. No doubt 
these people had a semblance of religious understanding. They knew some things. You know, here's King Josiah, the man that God has placed on the throne. He's functioning as normal. But the problem is when the Word of God is not there, they don't know what to do. They don't know what right and wrong is. They begin to develop their own theology of what they want rather than what God wants. And it's very interesting. It's, it's like they want to serve God, but they don't know how. And that is the job of a pastor. That is our job as a fellowship, to teach people how to live for God and to move forward with God. You know, we, one of my uh, men just recently went in. He had, had some physical therapy. And, and so, uh, 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 you know, one of the nurses there, he, he had talked to her and hadn't, uh, he knew her from the neighborhood. And, oh, how you doing? Oh, great. Yeah, oh, you still, you know, you still going to the door? Yeah, I used to go there, she says. But, you know, it's a cult. She goes, but now I've really found God at uh, the first church of the Chosen Frozen. I think they call it the Rock. <laughs> anyway, Pastor Mitchell told me not to insult anybody, but hey. And so um, she says, yeah, but now I've really found God because, you know, at your church they preach you can't fornicate, but that's not in the Bible. My pastor told me it's not a problem, and I'm teaching now. So Sister Susie is teaching and bringing all into the deathbed of fornication. And that's okay because the Word of God is not presented. They have large crowds. They have lots of people. They have lots of finance. Another large, huge facility with bookstore, coffee shop, restaurant. They've got the whole spiel. But the problem is the Word of God's not there. And it's now become traditional belief. It's become fluffy and exciting and palatable and convenient, but it's not the Word of God. And we can get there really quickly. When we begin to fall into that mindset of weariness and we're looking in our mind, we're going to help, we're going to bring growth, and we're going to enlarge the things of God, but yet, in fact, we're killing what God's trying to do by watering down the truth of His gospel become like the Pharisees, but in a different way. Oh, we're not, you know, the, these people are not, obviously not trying to tell anybody what to do. They're not micromanaging their lives. They're letting them do whatever they want is the problem. But the Pharisees had the same mindset. Jesus said in Mark 7, uh, 9, he says, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. He says, you've changed this gospel. You're not preaching the gospel. You're putting in here what you want. Matthew Henry said about this text, it says, it seems the book of the law was lost or missing, clearly mislaid and neglected and thrown into a corner. And I, I read that and I shuddered to think, can we get there? Is it possible for me as a man of God to go there, to lose this thrust of the gospel, the, the, the critical nature of the gospel that we first started with? That You know, when I first went out, folks, I didn't have anything. All I got was what Pastor Richard gave me. I had nothing to offer anyone. I didn't know how to preach. I still don't. But in 40 years, I might get there. I didn't have any insight of Scripture. I didn't have any depth of knowledge of the Word of God. I mean, when I first went out, I thought I was hitting hot licks. I had four sermons. I'm ahead. I got four. I thought I was hitting hot licks. I had nothing to offer. We couldn't compete with the church down the street. 
We were in a little hall we rented, me and my wife. My wife played the keyboard. I love you, baby. <laughs> and then we'd have to stop after every song so she could change the overhead. We didn't, you know, it's Pioneer Church. We didn't have this flow. And then when she was, you know, she'd play for the offering, I would sing while I was walking down the aisles taking the offering. Praise the Lord. Take the money, put it in the pulpit, stop, and then I would preach whatever, whatever drivel happened to be on the paper that day. I, can't, I couldn't compete with it. All I had was the Word of God. That's all I had. There was no fluff. In fact, we had a guy that came to the church one day. He sits on the piano. He's coming. He's a visitor. So we let him do whatever they want. You know, they're coming in. Thank God. Take it home. Bring it back later. No problem. You know? In fact, what are you doing for lunch and dinner? But I mean, this guy's playing the keyboard. He is just a masterful musician. He looks up, you know, and, he'd, and so he's playing. And then he, after the service, he comes back to me and he goes, you know, I could really help your song service. I'm thinking anybody could help our song service. <laughs> Give me a kazoo, I can help the song service. But he told me after about four or five times coming, he eventually left because we wouldn't let him minister for six months because we're not going to do it. But he finally told me, he says, you know why I come? I said, why? Because the song service is so bad, I get such a great chuckle out of it. <laughs> so we're not competing with these folks. It's impossible. But we have the Word of God. And that's all we had. And that was enough. Because God built His church. We need to get back and regain our sight and get back to that place. You know, you can't take what we've learned through this book and in our older years of ministry begin to have selective memory. Isn't it amazing that when you're talking to somebody about the Word of God, they remember what they want and conveniently forget the other things. And I fear that as we grow in age, you, I mean, not me, and as we grow and get older, that sometimes we can have selective memory about what we think we need to do for God and how we think God should be building the church. See, this church in our text, this nation of Israel has lost in their mind the need for the word of God. They were functioning by the seat of their pants doing whatever they wanted. And that's exactly what the megachurch does. It's exactly what they do. Selective memory. Here they are. They're repairing the house of God. They're giving. They're involved. But the Word of God is totally put on a shelf somewhere. And how much more us who are birthed in a Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching fellowship? How much more us are we going to be accountable if we take that Word and just put it on the side somewhere and say, you know what, that's nice, but we really need to be the family-friendly church. We need to be more compassionate. There's a word that's been taken out of context. People think you're compassionate when you let them do whatever they want. That's not compassion. That's called we don't give a rip. Compassion is bringing someone to bear, to bear on, on the facts of their life and saying this is what you need to do and getting to do, to do that and helping them to do that. You know, that's why I know we're not a cult. We can't be. We give advice no one ever listens. It's impossible. I can't be a cult leader. I tell my folks what to do and they just ignore me. And so, I, you know, praise God. Sorry, guys, you're all good here, but I'm just... 
But we need to get back to that sacred, sacred calling that we have to guard the Word of God and not worry about all the trappings and the trimmings that we think will make us more popular. We're not popular. Every church in town uses us as an illustration. Just had Pastor Fusslin for a powerful revival. And he made a great suggestion. He thinks we should change this, our signs to say, that church. <laughs> oh, you go to that church. See, we're not popular, and we're not going to be, and there's no need to be. We may not be politically correct, but I'm here to tell you, we better be biblically correct. We better be biblically correct, church. And there's a need for change because the modern trend is to not touch on the need for change in lives, to not touch on sin. Sin. You know that word sin? The word sin? You won't hear that in most pulpits anymore. Hell! That's not a location. That's a curse word now. But it's still a location. And yet they won't touch on this. The modern megachurch trend, they want to remove anything deemed offensive to any group at any time, which means they can preach nothing. All they're going to do is hand you cotton candy and lollipops. But that's not going to change what God wants to change in your life. Joel Osteen. I don't have the hair for it, but... Hi. You can have your worst life now. Listen to this article on him. It says, in his sermons, Joel Osteen does not talk about God. Joel Osteen instead talks about almost everything except God. He has a television ministry, a massive church, $43 million a year in tithes, $36 million in mailed-in donations. If you'd like to mail it in, it's P.O. Box 7786, Redlands, California. Um, <laughs> it says he's written two books. He's on all the talk shows. He's everywhere. He sold three million copies of his second book. But his books don't talk about God either. It's just his bland and boring advice on how to live happy. That's what we just need to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. We're going to all be happy. He says, think positively about yourself and other such drivel. What does Joel Osteen say when people ask him why he does not discuss God or Jesus or sin or what you need to do to go to heaven? He says, that's not my gift. You know what his gift is? The 36 million that's mailed in. This other preacher who built his megachurch, says this. We knew that people didn't want to give anything, sing anything, or do anything. They wanted anonymity and com not community. They didn't want theology lectures. They wanted to be entertained and inspired, so we set out to give them exactly what they wanted. See, that puts a different twist on the megachurch, doesn't it? And how wonderful it is. See, Paul preached clear truth even when he was stoned, even when, even when he was beaten, even when he was put in jail. He did the right thing. Read another article in USA Today. says, the megachurch story is not really about growth. It's about shifting allegiances 
People want to feel good about who they already are. And if a church is too challenging or not entertaining enough, they just move on. So you have transfer growth. We're not into transfer growth. We're into winning sinners to Jesus Christ. That's what we're into. People call me, oh, pastor, you know, I'm thinking about coming over to your church. Oh, where do you go to church? Now, over here. Well, you need to stay there. Please don't come here. In my announcements, we said thank you for every visitor that's come in. We really appreciate it. If you're visiting from another church, thanks for stopping by. That's what I say. I want to win sinners, folks. I mean, I'm not trying to run off every religious person that comes, just most of them. No, I'm just... <laughs> But I want to have the focus on sinners. We are not here to proselytize the other churches in town. That's what they do. That's why they put on the big productions and the big shows. What is it for to attract your people to their congregation? That's their outreach. Ours is sinners. And we need to stand on the Word of God. It says, during research, the megachurches have found that almost no members were making the transition from beginning believer to centered in Christ. They have no development. They're not developing. They have people attending, but they're spectators. See, without the Word of God, you're going to have a lot of spectators. No involvement, no discipleship, no church planting, no outreach, no evangelism, nothing but entertainment. That is not what God has called us to. There's a need here, and it's about change. We need to see lives changed. And that's not going to happen through slick programming. It's not going to happen by having a bigger and better thing going on. It's going to happen by the clear presentation of the gospel. That's what we need. Here's this man, he says, after pouring more than 25 years of my life into this church, I knew we weren't developing disciples. We'd produced consumers like Pac-Man, gobbling up every religious experience, navigating a maze, and going nowhere in particular. That is not what I want to, that, for God to do in my life. I don't want to just have people coming. If we can't see changed lives, why bother? I can make more money going back into my former business. We need changed lives, church. People aren't changed because we put on the best show in town. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, letting your carpet rot and uh, never painting the walls, uh, you know, because we're so spiritual. I, you know, we need to keep the building nice and everything in place. That's obviously part of what we do. But what I'm talking about is we change the Word of God for all the fluff, for all the fluff, and think somehow we're making impact in planet Earth for God. You know what the modern megachurch trend is? Everyone's leaving. They're cringing. They don't know what to do. Everybody's leaving them. They're moving from church to church. They couldn't understand why things weren't going their way. It's interesting here. Here is the, the king. He sees the book of the law, he hears the word of God and he tears his clothes and says, oh, we are in big trouble. It is over. We're under judgment. God is going to be angry because we are not doing this. We've gone into the other arena. We've taken a wrong course. We've been on the wrong path because people have tried to keep this gospel from us and we need to change because it's all about change, church. 
It's about changed lives, and there's nothing, nothing worth more than one changed life. That is worth everything. If you go out and pioneer, brother, and you have one soul that's changed, you've done your job. You've done your job. I remember when we went to Pioneer in the Northwest, my wife asked me, she says, what if it doesn't work? I know you've never thought that. You went out. We're going we're gonna to take the world. Yeah, and, that's, and I, did, you know, I thought that too, but you know, when reality said, it's like, oh my gosh, what on earth have I done? She says, well, what if it doesn't work? I said, it has to work. It has to work. I said, if we, I said, we won souls in, Pres in Prescott, Arizona. I said, that's the hardest city on the planet because it's been outreached for 20 years. And we see the same people every week and tell them the same thing, and this, some of them got saved. I said, if we can win one soul here, just one, we've done what God has called us to do. And I said, and after that, everything else we get's a bonus. So pioneer, don't, don't worry if you're not running 50 or 100. Or two. You know, you got one soul that's changed. You've done your job. You're preaching the word of God. It's evident in that life. And you ought to thank God for that one soul. Yeah. See, the message of a changed life is never delivered in these congregations. Never. They don't have to change. I think our churches there in the Inland Empire have filled the megachurches by all the people that have departed by choice and not by choice. They're all in ministry. Their best converts are our backsliders. That's a fact because they give, they want to do something, they just like to sin, and they facilitate that. This is such a fine couple. They're planning on marrying in two or three years, so we're going to put them in charge of our Sunday school. That is not bringing change to lives. You know, there's no difference between someone who refuses to get saved and serve God and someone who names the name, name of Jesus and will not change. No difference. It's the same. And the message of changed lives is not delivered by putting on the best show in town. It is, it is accomplished by the word of God being preached and put in place in lives every single time you stand behind the pulpit. Oh, but pastor, people will get offended. Yes. Jesus said offenses must come. Yes, they're going to get offended. Yes, they're going to be bothered. Yes, people are going to leave. That's part of what we deal with. But if you want to build a mega church, you're in the wrong spot. Because we're into change lives. We're into discipleship and church planning and seeing people raised up. And Josiah understood this. The first thing he did after he found the word of God, he said, you know, we're changing the program here. We're going to read this book. And he commanded everybody to come, and they read it to him all day long. And says, you need to get this. This needs to be put in place. And we need to reestablish this. Josiah understood the need. We need to once again take this role. And I'm not saying that we're not preaching the gospel here, but what I'm saying is that in the frustration of ministry, sometimes we tailor our message to be more palatable than to do what God has called us to do. And that has to change. I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't want to offend anyone. I, I, you know, we don't need a 50-minute song service. I'm sorry. 
You get them so worn out, they don't hear anything you preach anyway. I'm sorry, we don't need to have someone play on the cymbals and wait for a prophecy. Don't laugh, that's happened in our fellowship. There's things that we don't need to do. But what we do need to do is preach the Word of God. We don't need dancers. Oh, I wonder what the Holy Spirit was saying. He's saying, you're filled with lust. Get off the stage. Sorry. We don't need all the fluff, folks. We need the Word of God. We need discipleship. We need church planting. We need evangelism. Throw out all the rest. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Nothing else matters unless we're winning souls and seeing converts who want to rise up and preach the Word of God. That's what we need. Outside of that, it doesn't matter. Our building is fine. It leaks, but it's fine. <laughs> you know why? Because people come in, they see my totally white walls. We have the hospital sanctuary. All, all, everything's white-walled, you know. We have nothing else, no, no fluff. We got metal chairs. Keeps them awake. We don't have a lot of space. We have church Filipino style. Just push them in further. Get them in the, get them in the building. But you know what? When they come, God help me to preach the word of God. To see their lives changed. To see God do a miracle. Because folks, if God's not there, if the word of God is not there, they have no hope of change. We have no talent within ourselves, no ability to bring change in lives. We need the prominence of the Word of God, and that is the issue. Anything else is fluff, and fluff ain't enough. You've heard all this before, but I'm here to tell you that I've seen over the last several years and heard men speaking about how, oh, you know, sometimes this doesn't work. You're wrong, sir. You're dead wrong. This works everywhere in the world. It has worked from the beginning. It will work until Jesus comes back. We cannot improve on the Word of God, and we should never try. What we have is valuable, and I understand there's creativity involved. I'm not going to try to balance my whole sermon. I'm sure somebody else will balance it later. But uh, what I am saying is that we need to keep that focus on what we know is truth. His Word is truth. And if we'll keep that in our congregations, if we'll keep preaching and teaching our men to deliver that when they're in the field, yeah, they're not going to have the best building in town. Yes, they may not run thousands, but you know what? The people that they do run can make impact in their city and change the world. 
I'd rather have 10 people filled with the Holy Ghost that know the Word of God that can evangelize than 10,000 that are just coming to see the show. If you're coming to watch me at the show, you're going to want a refund. Because I'm not very entertaining. I'm just a typical, just the facts, ma'am. That's me. Somebody in my, sh in my church gave me a t-shirt that says, just the facts, ma'am. That's how it is. But you know what? With the Word of God, we can win the world for Jesus and God, young man, if you'll stand behind the pulpit, Pastor Mitchell taught me, he told me right before I went out, he says, Rich, let me tell you something. He says, you don't need to have the best sermons. You don't need to be borrowing sermons. You don't need to get them from other men. He says, I don't care if you write the worst dog poop on the planet. He says, if it's yours and it came from the Bible, God will honor that, people will change, and you can have revival. We need revival, church. We need revival. And the only way that's going to come is through this book. We're not all experts. We're not highly trained. But if we'll stay with what this says, God will do the rest. That's all I have, Pastor Marks.